We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And the Minnesota Timberwolves are headed to Portland to face Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum and the rest of the Portland Trailblazers on Thursday. Uh, Portland has become a team that I've really oddly obsessed with over these past few years or two years, really, since they since they brought in David Van Tepool. I, I just think in my mind there are so many reasons uh, to draw parallels between the two teams. And just from a Timberwolves standpoint, to think that the next good version of the Timberwolves looks a lot like this Portland team or kind of the Portland team of the past um, two or three years. Um, you know, I, I just think it, the Blazers are kind of shaping up to be a proof of concept for what Gerson Rosas is trying to build in Minnesota. So to talk about all this, to talk about my half-baked Blazers-Wolves comparison, Steve DeWald, uh, who covers the Blazers for Blazers Edge, and is one of my – I refer to you and a couple other guys as my quote-unquote summer league friends, who I hang out with oh, for yeah. like three straight days once a year in July that we don't see each other for, 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 for 12 yeah. more months. So, Steve, I'm going to pepper you with some, some Wolves-Blazers comparison questions today, but – it's been a minute. How are you? What's going on in Steve World? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I mean, it's it's a, a crazy day here. Obviously, we're recording this a, a day before, but um, everything's good. It's not um, good. It's Blazers, it's bad. It's bad. Today's I mean, bad. It's, it's okay it's to bad. say today's bad. I, I'm just I'm just you gotta gotta try to stay exactly. positive. So, but but on the court, the Blazers are. Uh, you never know what you're gonna get each night, so that's exciting. Right now, it's uh it it's truly just been up and down performances all throughout the season so far. And it's a, uh, Hey man, that beats on the David Vanderpool front. I would say don't that beats just down to attach to David Vanderpool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, so I go ahead. I think the first podcast and, and the only podcast we were ever on together, I think my claim to fame was, I think it was all the Northwest yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, division teams were all on a podcast. And like my claim to fame on that podcast was like, I think Adam Mara is through the question of like, who's the best coach in the division? Like I instantly like just grab the Terry Stotts is the best coach. And like, now we're reuniting and this is probably the hottest hot seat he's ever been on in Portland. So they're kind of, it's a, uh, it's they're kind of all those seats are a little hot, yeah. not Malone, I guess, but um, it's just, I mean, that's what happens, right? When you just have uneven play and you have it for a sustained amount of years. And uh, I mean, obviously the wolves, I think Saunders is probably feeling some heat too, and they're in a very different place than the Blazers are. But, but yeah, that's just kind of why I think the Blazers are interesting. It's like they've kind of been in the same place for a while, right? And then you and then you start yep. off this year, yep. and I haven't watched every game, but I've you know I've been I've been checking in on the team, watching a few of their games, and 
and they're just to me from afar it's the same thing it's the same thing you're good at offense and and it's just you just give up too many points you're just you're just bad at defense so that that's where i want to start they are currently seven games into the season eighth on offense and 29th on defense i the three games i've watched have all been blazers losses (laughs) but look go ahead if you haven't if you did if you didn't watch the lakers game this this has all been bad this year. <laughs> so basically, if, if you're one of those people who haven't watched the Lakers game for the Blazers, it's looked terrible for the most part. Well, I was just watching the Bulls game from, from last night, and I actually only got through the first half of it, but I know they lose. And and they're up by 19, I think, at the end of the first quarter. I'm like, oh, shit, what's about to, what's a, what's about to happen here? But they just, I, I mean, is that fair? Is eighth on offense, 29th on defense, a fair encapsulation of what this team has been? Honest, defense, absolutely. Offensive, offensively, that seems a little bit high because I feel like this has not been the free-flowing Blazers offense that we've kind of seen in the last few years. This is a lot of ISO three-point shooting, and I think that eighth in efficiency right now is boosted by some incredible games by C.J. McCollum individually. Sure. And then also Gary Trent Jr. just went unconscious in, in the Lakers game. And, and I really think that rating is really boosted by those performances. So I'm, I'm assuming from where you sit and where Portland Trailblazers fans sit, you, you bring in Derek Jones Jr., you bring in Robert Covington, and you're thinking and that you're raising your, your defensive floor. And I, I from my listener's standpoint, I think those are two players that are very – interesting to focus on here Covington for obvious was in Minnesota reasons a lot of people didn't want to let him go it didn't make sense to let go a player who's very good on defense in a lot of people's eyes and then Derek Jones Jr. was apparently a player the Wolves pursued heavily this offseason again from what I've watched neither has looked all that great in in the Blazers games and small sample size but the defense just doesn't doesn't seem better do you see what have you seen out of those two? I guess specifically, and why have hasn't the defense been good? So, I'll, I'll tackle the two forwards first before I get to the defense because I do, I don't think they're exactly the same. Why the defense has been so bad? Derek Jones Jr. offensively is just such an awkward fit on this team so because because they this is not a lob passing team. This is a guy who needed to be around when Evan Turner was still on this team. Like those two could have actually unlocked each other's games, but that's just not the case now. So if you really want, want to have, you know, go through a horror show of highlights, see the attempted passes on lob passes to Derek Jones Jr. Cause they're atrocious. It's bad. But <laughs> defensively there, I, I have no, no, I mean, after watching Rodney hood and Carmelo Anthony play that position for long stretches last year, this is this is pleasant to watch because he can close gaps very quickly. He comes off screens quickly. He's usually picking up the best offensive threat on the opposing team, and he's picking them up full court a lot of the time. I have no issues with Derek Jones Jr. Rocco, it's just he's such an awkward fit in Terry Stotts' system, and I think that's a, a story of two things that's happened in Portland so far this year. Is they brought in Jim Boylan for three weeks in training camp, and they wanted to use this more aggressive style. And after three weeks, they basically lit that entire playbook on fire and scrapped it. So now you're asking Covington to get into this really conservative system to where it just doesn't really play to his strengths, especially when you're not using him like Houston did when you're, you're putting him in the paint and you're letting him go get blocks because that's where Nurkic is. And it's too conservative on the perimeter to really let him get in those passing lanes. Now, that being said, he does have the stickiest fingers of any Blazers player I've seen in the last five years. Like he does just have a way of stripping the ball from guys going through the lane that Portland just has not had that in the last five years, probably since Nick Batum was at the height of his defensive prowess in Portland. Sure. Defensively, it, I think the main problem has been Yusuf Nurkish to start the year. Like I think it's just been super awkward where they asked him in camp that he's going to be more more aggressive off screens and then they backed off of it. So now he's in this weird middle ground where he's not doing either of those things. And so Portland's getting torched in the paint. I think opponents are shooting like 68% in the paint against the Blazers. Like it's it's just not what we've come to expect from Yusuf Nurkic. He looks a step slow and it's it's really and really he looks 
as heavy as he was hmm. when he arrived from Denver and, and it was well documented that he was a late arrival from Bosnia to come back from training camp. And I think he's still behind the ball when it comes to working out. And, and it's a bummer because he looked really good in the bubble considering that it was such a short run off that massive injury. So it's, it's been a, he's been a huge disappointment to start the year. Well, that, it's interesting you talk about the conservative scheme specifically related to Rocco because I mean, it's literally the same scheme. Right, like it's Stotts and Vanterpool yeah. were running a very conservative scheme where you would have whether it be Nurkic or whether it be Whiteside or or whoever it is, keeping that big at the rim as your rim defender. You know, be a be a big body there. And once you once you decide to do that with your center, as the Wolves did with Cat last year, yeah, like it is it is a a scheme where for for a player like Robert Covington who who does have those sticky fingers, who does kind of thrive in a little bit aggressive freelancing. There's just, there's just limitations. And I don't know if you know this, but, but last year, the, the Timberwolves worst defensive two man pairing was cat and Rocco, which is just, yeah. Right. Like it's, (laughs) and that's more cat than it is Rocco, but it also, it also speaks to this idea that like, and what I think is playing out in Portland is that he isn't just a fixer, you know? Like the defense doesn't just doesn't just rise because of his his presence. He's more of a I don't I don't know, the floor the floor raiser, the whatever it is. He he's kind of an elite tertiary defensive piece in in my, you know, in my purview where it's just kind of ends up being a little bit of a funky fit when you're always playing alongside two maybe three guys who aren't very good defensive players. And I think what I think when Portland targeted him and gave up two first round picks to get him, I think the plan was still Zach Collins was on track to be back in January. And that fit makes a lot more sense Mm -hmm. because you can play that aggressive style. You can play that switching style and let him, you know, exploit mismatches and be very active on the defensive end. And it's just that, went up in smoke very quickly this this year again for Zach Collins which is hmm. just a whole nether underlying issue with the Blazers is they are not they haven't gotten a minute of production from a first round pick from the last half decade <laughs> to start this year and it's and it's a problem That's not what you want. I mean it so um but he, he I I will say this Covington will not be in the lowest defensive pairing two man pairing on the Blazers because I I was actually looking at this today Cantor and Carmelo Anthony have played 99 minutes together Uh-oh. and I believe it's a negative 18 net rating. And I think their, their defensive rating is like 128 or something. It's something it's, it's awful. And it's, hmm. and it, and it, the eye test matches the numbers for sure. Like, and, and that's the type of thing that's going to get Terry Stotts removed from this position is him playing the, these lineups that he's not willing to switch up and that's it's going to get he's going to have to adapt sooner rather than later because they can't afford to get into a hole with this roster yeah it just seems like there's multiple adaptations that need you know need to happen and and when it's he's had his baseline ideologies of, of how to coach this team whether it be defensively whether it be you know offensively there's just there's just a lot of things that you kind of go well, we don't know doing the the opposite would be better, but you're kind of like, ah, it might be. It can't be worse. <laughs> it can't be worse. Yeah. So I, I do want to ask about Derek Jones Jr. Just where, like, were you surprised about that signing at the time? Um, and then just kind of like the, the price tag there? Because I think from a, from a Wolves standpoint, I look at it and I go, well, he basically got a one-year deal from the Blazers at the mid-level. He has a player option for you know for the the next year, so call it two if you want. You would think that he would have taken more money elsewhere. Um, now all the Wolves would have been able to do is also offer the mid level exception what Portland did, but they could have offered three or four years. So before I ask if you think they could have been outbid, do you, what did you think that was a good contract like at the time before he played at all? I think just how they have everything. Sh- structured right now to where yes this is in theory a one-year deal technically a two-year deal if he picks up the option 
every Portland's whole cap structure is on this two-year plan. So I think this is a safe sure. get in, get out. And I think they're hoping to replicate kind of the same level of commitment they got from Rodney Hood. Mm. Um, I think I think they had a good experience there of getting him to sign on a lower mm. deal. Granted, the injury changed that whole situation, but, but I, I think that was the mindset there. Mm-hmm. Judging by, there was a great article in the New York Times about Derek Jones Jr. broke down his night of free agency, yep. and I think basically what he talked about is if he was going to go after that longer term deal, it sounded like it was going to be with a team like the Hornets who was, he was expecting, he was hoping for a call from them. Mm -hmm. And that just never came to fruition. So I think he was going to get a mid-level type deal, but I think just from an Asian standpoint, he was looking at a bigger offensive role, which is something that the Blazers, I guess, promised him with a starting position, which has not come to fruition yet. No, he has got uh, it. He has got the role. It just hasn't worked. Yeah, that uh, the passing is just not there. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't pin that on him. Sure. Um, and I, I think he wants to get in. Get that. He's still at an age where he can get. He wants to get to that market next year. I think unless he was going to get a big deal from like the Hornets this summer. Okay, but, so if the Wolves would have put four forty on the table, which which would have been the maximum mid level rather than the one nine and a half that he got from Portland. Like, do you think he would have been he would have taken that from the Wolves? I just don't get that vibe because he's still only twenty three, and I think yeah. I think he I think he was either going to take a big deal from the Hornets or just look to get in and get out and get onto the free agency, a much friendlier market next year. Because really, if his shot comes around, he's he's looking at a big deal just with how athletic he is in the position he plays. So like, like teams a 15, are, and, 16, 17 next summer, you think is what he would – that's I, his mindset? I think so. I, I think I think a team. I think that is his mindset, and I think there might be a team that'll do it just based on. I mean, probably a lot depends on Portland's success this sure. year because if it's an if it's not if it doesn't look good and his fit offensively does not work throughout the year, that's not necessarily what you want to jump into the free agent market yeah. with. But if it goes well and Portland's record is decent and he's averaging modest numbers offensively, but his defensive presence is there he's going to get a lot of credit for that. So, so is Robert Covington as well. Like if Portland's defense eventually does improve, those guys are going to get the lion's share of the credit there. It's interesting just to, from a Wolves perspective, not that you totally care, but, but they, (laughs) uh, you know, they just have nothing at power forward really. I mean, they signed Wancho Mm -hmm. to a $7 million a year deal. Um, They've been playing a Kogi at the four. It's just clearly they, they only had the mid-level as an option to really address the position in terms of just outright signings. And they pursued Jones Jr. They pursued Jay Crowder. They pursued Paul Millsap and they pursued Jermichael Green. And it's just this, this season, if the Wolves land any of those guys is, is I don't want to say night and day different, but it's been like they've lost games because they're starting Jarrett Culver at, you know, power forward, where if you, if you get any of those guys. So the way I think about it is not like immediately to indict the Wolves front office. I think about it from that Jones Jr. standpoint where I'm like, well, were you just offering a one-year mid-level? Because there's a big difference if you offer a one-year mid-level versus a four-year mid-level. But that's why, that's why I'm interested to hear that from you, which that lines up. I, I, I hear that logic there because I think he was the guy because he only signed a one-year deal. Mm. Crowder signed a three-year to go to Phoenix. I don't think it would have moved the needle much to give him a fourth like the wolves are is a worse situation than phoenix and then the Millsap thing ended up getting screwy because basically denver outbid the mid-level to bring him back they gave him a one-year 10 um and you know just that's i think it was looking like he was coming to minnesota but then the jeremy grant stuff went down and they needed him you know so it's just I'm gonna that as I every Timberwolves game I watch, <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about how they just didn't get one of those four guys, and really the one that I think about most is is Derek Jones Jr. So I've been watching these Blazers games with a specific eye on him. Yeah, it's it's I, it's I'm I'm curious to see how the order of the calls came in because I believe the Blazers after the call said, "Hey, we're gonna you either take this offer, we're gonna put this offer out there," sure, and. I think there there was some intel that said yes the Blazers are offering this to other people we need to call them back and take this deal. That's what I it sounded like in the story. Might affect yeah. 
yeah, that's it. I mean, granted, you got to take the agent stories with a grain of salt, but right. that that was the the narrative in the story. Right. Um, let's take a quick break and then come back with a couple more questions. Hey everyone, want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive cover art for your pod, Q&As with Blue Wire podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of uh, tips and tricks that we all use. On top of that, we'll get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google Stitcher, all those listening platforms. And what I can tell you from my own experience is it costs more than $15 a month to host your own podcast. Blue Wire Hustle only charges that, which is the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more. That's bwhustle.com slash join. All right, Steve. So you have been living the good offense at best below average defense life in Portland for a long time. Um, it's something I talk about a lot, that that's what the Wolves are looking like they're building towards. You know, you you talk about Dallas from last year where you're it's a elite at offense, 17th on defense sort of thing. You talk about what Portland has been a lot of these past three, four years. And then kind of the gold standard, right, was, was Houston um, back in the CP and Harden year where I think they were like second and 17th, but looked like a legit, you know, looked like a legit title contender. So you've been living it longer. Like how much, how much do you believe in that just general roster construction philosophy of building something that probably has a defensive ceiling of like 15th? I think Portland was robbed of what, what their rockets run could have looked like. And it still turned into a Western conference finals run, but it was without Nurkic. And I think Mm -hmm. that was, that was the, the optimum of, top five offense, top 20 defense, and just relying on – you had that star power in the backcourt, and for you guys it would be in the front court. Uh, the way Dila's playing, it's going to be in the front court. <laughs> but but uh, you just rely on those Lillard-McCollum games in a playoff series where they kind of go unconscious. Um, I think it could work, but I think it just depends on where your talent is in that offensive set. And I think it's just, it's so much harder when your main offensive threat is not a guy who plays on the perimeter who is not above six, five. Hmm. I think it just kind of changes the game in those long playoff series. When you're really looking at, is this going to be a title contending team? It's just when those series get physical, it's so much harder on Damian Lillard and really McCollum won the, the Nugget series that got them to the Western Conference Finals. Totally, like it was all the attention was on Lillard, and by the end of the that run, I mean Lillard was getting doubled at half court and just worn down throughout that entire playoff run. So, I I think it could work, but I think you definitely have to where you guys are an advantage is Cat would be your best player, mm-hmm. and I think that just kind of changes the game as far as how he can generate points and get easy buckets and easier for him to exploit certain mismatches optimally. It's funny you bring it up like that. Cause I don't, I think that logic actually checks out, but the, the narrative here is more so like, well, what are you about to do in the last five minutes of the game? Like at least you can guys could just give the ball to Dame and he can go just try and score. Like that's been a problem with the, you know, the cat era is, you know, they, they clearly are like trying to get him the ball late in games, but a lot of times it's like, oh, they've kind of taken away the post option. So here goes, it's an Andrew Wiggins isolation for the last shot of the game. And mm. now maybe we overblow some of that because it's like at the, at the end of the day, the last shot of the game is just one shot, you know? And, and that's, that's good perspective from you where it's like for the whole series, like Cat probably isn't going to be getting overwhelmed physically in the same way you know that that Lillard was I mean a whole thing we need to acknowledge here it's like Lillard is 
at a different offensive level no, th yeah. than Cat is yeah. too. But but yeah. this is all me talking through like the rose colored glasses of if the Wolves are where the Blazers are, you know, two years if they could get to a playoff series to you know to to do some of this. It's I don't know that, that that's interesting. You put it like that because I bet you a lot of people who are listening to this from a wolf, on the Wolves side are like, huh, that's not really what you would think. Well, I, I think I have had you've watched the Blazers just get rocked in these in these series. Like outside of that Western Conference Finals run, without Lamarcus Aldridge, the Lillard Blazers have been run out of the playoffs routinely. Like when they lose a series, it's a sweep. Yeah. And it's it's ugly and it's it's that that Pelicans Blazers series, yeah. that opening round that gives me nightmares to this day. Like it was the most uncomfortable series to watch. And it was just Lillard was powerless that whole series. Right. And it, it was just, I mean, triple teams. And, and I, uh, my idea would be is if you have a bigger guy, you can at least, if you have a competent guard, you can just try to pick and roll a team to death in the playoffs or, or try to just, work your way into a favorable matchup where it's just a little bit harder to disguise your primary facilitator and the guy who's bringing up the ball sure. every time. Like it's, it's just a totally different ball game with Lillard. Well, so we've, we've jumped onto the offensive side of this equation, which wasn't, which, which I think is interesting, but wasn't my intention, right? It's, it's more the idea of, of having your defensive weaknesses be sort of exposed oh, yeah. in, in a playoff series, right? Like that's, I think that's I think that's what we think of even with the best teams like a a Steph Curry, you know, are you are like are the Rockets targeting, you know, a Steph Curry is Dame getting targeted in these situations is Cat going to get, you know, just blitzed in, you know, in pick and roll, not not to mention D'Angelo Russell is like four rungs below all those guys. Like is that just going to be over and over and over again? That's what I think about in a playoff series if the Wolves ever get there where they if they if the Wolves ever do get to the playoffs, it's going to be because they're going to have like a top three offense. Like, that's what it's going to be. But with this group, it's going to be D'Lo, who's one of the worst defensive point guards in the league. Malik Beasley is not a you know a strong defender. Anthony Edwards has a lot of learning to do there. You know he's physically imposing. Obviously, you know the you know the narrative with Cat defensively for as long as it's been. That's where my concerns are about building a team that's more focused on net impact versus balance on, on both sides of the ball. I guess on the flip side, I guess offensively, I would rather have the big guy, but defensively you're at such a disadvantage For sure. if your big guy is, is, is a, and I mean, really that's what the Blazers lived through before Nurkic. I mean, mm -hmm. Mason Plumley was a disaster underneath. Like he just is not a rim protector. Like he's a, he's a fun offensive player. He does some fun things, gets rebounds, but he's not a guy who's going to protect the rim. And really, I think it's just if you're getting to a postseason with an offense-heavy team, what you want to do is bend, don't break, and play to your strengths on offense. Mm. And, and really, the Blazers have the advantage where when C.J. McCollum is really locked in on defense, they can always hide either him or CJ, but you can't ever hide them both. Yep. And when they, when they can both be exposed, that's where Portland really runs into if issues defensively in the postseason. But right. I, I think of that OKC series where like CJ competed against Paul George and like it, that I thought that was a huge difference, you know, there. And then obviously they had Harkless, right. And it was like that group was competing enough so that they could kind of hide dame in a way that allowed him to be you know well hit in one and just save some 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 energy for offense but that's interesting you put it like that you gotta you can't hide both of them you can't really hide two in the playoffs can you especially in the back in your, your backcourt they're gonna they're gonna find one of them and really i mean that okcu series they they just played russell westbrook perfectly they just stood in the paint and right. said, if you want to shoot threes, shoot threes. And and that's how they hid Damian Lillard. I would say, even though they lost the series is two years ago or the year before the Western conference finals run, they played the two years before that they've been eliminated by the warriors. So, so many much. times I get, <laughs> get a mixed up in my head, hey, at least but there. it was a, in the second round. 
it was against the second round of the Warriors, and CJ played probably the best series I've ever seen someone play against Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. Like he chased him around everything and was just super engaged. The Blazers were ahead in like every single one of those games, just blew it at the end of every single one of right. them. But I would say defensively, that was the best they've ever looked against an elite team. And granted, they lost the series in four games, but they still looked good. You know who they had coaching their defense then? <laughs> David Vanterpool. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that that's cost has cost the Blazers defensively? And will well, like last year, such a you know shit show with the Blazers mm-hmm. with all the injuries. But like, do you think they miss Vanterpool a lot? Oh, I think I think absolutely this year more than ever, and. Hmm. I think if you have a David Vanderpool there, you're not bringing in Jim Boylan for three weeks. Like, I think you're just going, Hey, let's, let's keep this in house. Let's rework the defense and let's go from here. It's not bringing a recently fired coach and see what happens (laughs) and then tear it to shreds. So I, I just think really from a Lillard standpoint, I'd be interested to see, I'd really like to see Vanderpool there because I think he was just such a steadying force for Lillard while he was here. Like that was his guy. When you saw Lillard go to the bench, it was always to David Vanderpool first. And I feel like, especially now where it's a lot of new faces and an an attempted new system and you have the mellow factor here, which they get along, but they're still the mellow factor. Mm -hmm. I feel like having Vanderpool here is a steadying force for him. I think that's what's probably – for me, I would imagine is missing most, but obviously the defensive thing, I think, especially this season where they kind of have the pieces to where it would let Vanderpool kind of work and explore a little bit. No, no, I I just think from a Dame standpoint, like, but I, I I still think if Stotts, if Stotts goes, I think Vanderpool has got to be number one on the list for the Blazers. Yeah. I mean, so now let's invert that and look at it like the Wolves. Right now, where you sit as the Wolves, it, like, let's, like, hypothetically say Ryan Saunders is gone this year, you know, and Vanderpool is not, like, the coach in waiting, which, you know, a lot of people think that here. But if he's not, and they just, like, let Saunders go and bring somebody else in, it's like, what did why did Vanderpool come? You know, he has this, like, stellar reputation of like the Dame and CJ whisperer and is some defensive guru, even though the Blazers were never really that good at defense, you know, it's like, it just seems very bizarre. And as I understand it, it was a big promotion for him. He wasn't necessarily, he wasn't the associate head coach in Portland, even though he was the defensive coordinator. And then he comes here and is the associate head coach has substantially more pull than I'm sure he had, uh, you know, next to Stotts, not to mention a big, probably a big pay raise, but it's just an interesting risk by him, you know, like that, that's what I've thought about the Vantable thing all along. Well, I don't think, I don't think at the time when he left, he was the clear number two in Portland. And I think that was a dynamic always with Portland that it was keeping Nate Tibbetts back, who is, was the offensive guy for Portland, who was, I think, if anything happens this season, Tibbetts is the next in line. But those two guys both wanted to be associate head coaches, and I think it was basically the offense has been so good. Tibbetts is the offensive guy. Obviously, he's going to stay. Yeah. And then Vanderpool left. Huh. So, but it, it really is with him with Vanderpool. Like, it's less like defensive wizardry and more like personality, getting guys to buy in, getting guys to understand the value of film watch. I mean, that's what I've sort of gathered over the time because even Wiggins was like, Wiggins and Vanterpool were tight. Now, now Vanterpool is like Edwards's guy. Like that seems to be more so what he was brought here to be than to, you know, to be the guy drawn up defensive sets. Yeah. And I I think, I mean, just, anybody you talk to who's interacted with Vanderpool at any point in their career, it's, it's always a positive review. Like I remember when the Blazers drafted Anthony Simons, I was talking to the coach at I or the athletic director at IMG and he coached Vanderpool in college. Huh. And that was the first thing he asked me about. I mean, this is 20 years ago. And it's like, Hey, do you have his number? Can you talk? And like, so I got, I got reconnected them at summer league. I was like, Hey, this is Brian Nash. He's looking for you. Vanderpool. <laughs> and so like, huh. 
and they reconnected. And I think just everybody, it's that, it's that, it's that person to person interaction. And so that building of, and that's, I think that's why Lillard reached some of the levels he reached. Now, granted, Lillard is very driven on his own and very talented sure. on his own, but I think some of the leadership aspects, especially in that vacuum after the LaMarcus Aldridge departure, I think it, a lot of that is credited to David Vanderpool because early in Dame's career, he had Earl Watson on at the end of the bench with him and then even Mo Williams a little bit. But after those guys left and LaMarcus left, it was really Vanderpool that really kind of did that last little bit of seasoning on Dame's leadership that you see today that he's kind of known well, for. And that's not you just saying that. Like Dame has came out and said that him, you know, himself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting, man. I mean, it's it's bizarre. It's bizarre from a Wolves standpoint. I mean, it's obviously not gone well in terms of wins and losses since Saunders has taken over. Yet at the same time, it's this whole, like, the roster's been broken, Cat's been broken. Like, it's just it, – it's just – it's so many different things. And, and it's – it's just – obviously, it's very important when you're a team that's, like, has this young core of – some 25 year old and under talent to to have an idea of what your vision is you know and like who's going to be the coach mm. going forward like what because i think what will happen is if david vanderpool does take over for ryan saunders like the identity of this team changes like just i guess from a personality standpoint but also just from a basketball standpoint like vanderpool is very conservative like as mm. as a coach like bat like basketball wise where saunders is actually pretty like going you know going on a whim going you know going up which that sounds bad but he he has he plays a little bit more by by feel and it's just these things really matter you know when, when you look back around the league outside of our two teams too like some groups never make it and it's because and you and you look back and you go what if they would have done done something differently not necessarily with the roster but with the coach and and I think that could be the case for both Portland and Minnesota when we look back at like five years from now yeah I think it, it just really when Terry Stotts came in the Blazers just kind of had this run of like this isn't this isn't working with Nate Nate McMillan at the end and then they mm -hmm. do this weird hire of Caleb Canales who is an excellent assistant but like was definitely not ready for a head coaching position and then I think that pivot to Stotts, who was very much a steadying force and very conservative as well, and coming from that Carlisle system, mm -hmm. I think just really allowed the Blazers to blossom into what they did in this decade, which there has not been a tremendous amount of playoff success, but they've been there. They've been in yeah. they've been in the discussion. They have a marquee backcourt pairing. And and before the that pairing you had Lamarcus Aldridge in the front court. So yeah, yeah co coaching is you I think Coaching and GM, if you if you nail that combination, that is going to push, you know, good talent to excellent talent, excellent potential. Oh, that's a good way to put so. it. Um, the, the last thing I want to talk to you about, because I feel like when we randomly just text each other, the most common topic is Jake Lehman. He was he was uh, he was one of your guys back in in Portland. And he's he it's been a weird year for him. I don't know how much you've seen in Minnesota. He was starting and it just went terribly terribly. Like and it just he just seemed like a guy that, you know, wouldn't be that variable and and what he you know, what he could do and what he could be. I guess my, my that's just my question to you. Like year I guess now 2 years ago when you when Jake Lehman was doing kind of the same thing for the Blazers, started at the beginning of the year and then kind of moved into a different role like why did you fall in love with the idea of what Jake Lehman could be? Just because I think he was he was what Mo Harkless wasn't hmm. as far as an attitude standpoint, at least on the court. Like he was a guy who would cut. Even if he didn't have the ball or didn't have a play drawn up for him, he was always moving off the ball, which was not something Portland had from their forwards, either forward, either Alfred Camino or Maurice Harkless for long stretches. Those guys would go park in the corners and then go nuts when they got the ball and it usually didn't end well <laughs> at least jake jake layman at least moved with purpose he was one of the rare guys that would get out in transition in stotts's offense which again very conservative on the offensive end as well as far as transition goes so he was just one of the and, and he just seemed like he was very engaged and very very much bought into portland's culture very much you know this mm -hmm. is 
this is Damon CJ's team. It's how I fit around these guys. It's how I play off these guys. And, you know, I'm going to follow their lead on the floor, which I think is, is something that you want from, you want active guys who know their roles and play to their strengths. Now, granted, it just never quite worked out for him because Mo Harkless is so hot and cold that when he's hot, he's going to get that spot in those minutes yeah. back. And it's just, it leaves Jake at a disadvantage when he's finally getting in rhythm. It was, he was someone who I was really curious when they, when they made the move to, to get him to where he wanted to go in Minnesota. So. He, it, it, well, I mean, it makes sense. Everything you just described that he didn't have in Portland, he's basically got in Minnesota. Like, for sure, the being able to play in transition. I mean, I think that's pretty clearly, like, the most intriguing element of his game. And the Wolves are not conservative offensively in that way, and they're going to, you know, they're going to get out and run. And then he doesn't have, like, or he hasn't had the blockades of a Harkless and an Aminu around him, like, the opportunity the opportunity has been here. Now it's been weird because, you know, last year he's actually playing pretty well through the first, I don't know, he played like 18 games or something. Then he wrecked his toe. So he, you know, he got pulled out of it. And that's, I guess, just this year, I'm, you know, I'm looking at the roster and it's, you kind of look at the three, four where, you know, Jake fits in. Like this dude yeah, can take a, yeah, he could take a 30 minute a game role, even if as like a fifth in usage type guy out there, like, this is this is all his to be had, and mm. it was so bad. I mean, it was he's been a little bit better now in a bench roll the past two games, I think, up top of my head. But just doing like doing making bad decisions, and and That's... and 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 also just losing confidence, like getting to the rim and not like finishing when he's like his layup package has been I mean, he can get up and dunk you know like those look nice but it's been it's been super weird it's been super weird that's 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 odd because that is i mean he was mr irrational confidence when he was in portland when he got a long leash in the second unit i mean he huh. those threes were going if he hit his first one he was up. taking five of them right and and so yeah, that that is a little odd and i think my main thing with my gripe within portland was just they were really trying to play him at, at small forward and i think the biggest piece i ever wrote on him was this guy is the stretch for portland wants on their second unit mm -hmm. why are we not why are they not playing him at power forward right and it's just it's just odd that it it's too bad that that's kind of been i haven't watched him a lot in minnesota mm -hmm. so that that's kind of a bummer that's what's plaguing him there because that was he definitely. So you think he should play four? Have the opportunity. You, you think he should play four? I, I think he's. A, I've always yeah. thought he, he was a four. Even kind of, even when the Blazers drafted him, I always saw him as a four. So so it's been weird. Like, if you if you like pull up cleaning the glass, they're like they're crediting his minutes all to the four, but like he was starting the first few games alongside a Kogi, and a Kogi is guarding Blake Griffin and being guarded by Blake Griffin, <laughs> like. I don't know how else you def like that's the four, yeah. you know, and they're they're like playing a Kogi in the dunker like a good amount, but it's literally I think like the clean of the glass people are like oh that like Layman's way taller, you know he's there, so it well you know you know Ben Ben Falk is a Portland guy, so like that, <laughs> yeah. it all means same wavelength. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, it, it's he's I, I think I think he'll I think he'll still get some some chances here just because this is going to be a long you know a long year for the wolves but but what i what i do think this wasn't my idea but another guy i was talking to on the wolves beat is like i think he's just like 26 years old and he's got this starting job and he kind of goes if i don't like take this here like kind of hit on these first 20 25 games of the season this is probably my last chance to be a starter you know in the nba yeah. right and and I think he just kind of started playing tight. Yeah, I think it looked like he was. I mean, clearly he was playing tight. He, he didn't, he didn't score the first. He started and didn't score the first two games, and and then in the third game, he's like cuts under the basket. He's wide open and and just grabs the ball and dunks it and just like he's up there and he comes down to the ground and he just goes, <sighs> like he he's just he's just you know clearly he knows it like. He knows everything, you know, he's, he knows everything he's not, he's not doing. It's just been, it's been interesting. Cause as we've talked about over the years, I've all, I've been like, 
you know, cautiously optimistic about a guy like Lehman. You know, you got if you can get us, he's making like three and a half million bucks. If you can get a guy who's a starter or even like a seventh man, you weave together a couple couple of contracts like that with guys who are on cheap deals for multiple years in your rotation. That's extremely valuable, and that was that was what my what I anticipated out of Lehman. It just hasn't come together. Well, and that's I mean, really, he was the next in line to be the the second round pick that flourished in Portland. I mean, yeah. what, from whatever Portland hasn't gotten in the first round, they've gotten more their, their cup runneth over in the second round. <laughs> like, I mean, all their, like every successful draft pick in the last five years has come out of the second round. I mean, they've had success with Pat Connington with Jake Lehman and well, Jake Lehman's tenure was cut a little short and now Gary Trent jr. Has just yeah. reached a whole new level. So, so, Last question: How scared are you? How scared are you of losing to the Timberwolves tomorrow? <laughs> they're, I mean, they're so the, bad, dude. The Wolves the are so tone, bad. The the Blazers can lose to anyone <laughs> is what I what it, I have learned. Like the Rockets game, you're playing against a COVID depleted team. There, they got nine active players. You got Harden's first game. It's just, I think, I think they, I don't know. I just hope they don't lose to the Wolves because if they can't get up for this game after the, the Bulls game, that, that is, it's going to be a long set of games for the Blazers for a while until something changes. And if they don't react to the type of, I, Terry Stotts has never gotten very vocal and called out his guys in post game. And he did that for the first time wow. after the Bulls game. And, what do you call out? And he he basically just the the team in general basically was he never really turns it on to the guys, especially motivation wise. And it's basically yeah. like, look, if you can't get up for this game, fiery, I can't give you a fiery halftime speech that's going to suddenly make you, our guys motivated. Right. Like that. That's just hmm. that that doesn't seem harsh uh, it, after a loss like that. But for Terry Stotts, that's like pulling up and firing a gun in the air like that's that's pretty serious stuff wow. from him so like <laughs> well this is so, this is all probably very encouraging this, this is very encouraging for Timberwolves fans who I, and at the same time too it's like i don't have any illusions that this wolves team is going to the playoffs or anything but but what the wolves are on the verge of is like losing the season having the season be lost 15 games into the year and like to some extent losing when you have cat out is you know totally expected but if <laughs> If Cat misses twelve games and the Wolves go zero and twelve in that run, you know your year's over. Like, what do you, you know, what are you even really doing? And and so I think, like, I think you will get a hungry Wolves team. You like what? What? Go ahead. I'm interested to see what Mello what Mello does against against the Wolves because hmm. yes, you guys don't really have a power forward, a true power forward, and that that roster is very slim in that end yes so well, i think if there's an if it's an undersized guy in, in there i just don't think Mello has the constitution to not try to post that guy up every time he comes down the floor and that will just absolutely kill the blazers offense see they've, so, they've like, been laying the groundwork because yeah that is for sure gonna have it Okogi's not playing he was just he's just ruled out before this so so like Wancho's gonna start. Layman will get like some minutes there. They started playing like, like I, I don't know. They could go bigger where they go like Jared Vanderbilt and Nasri. But it, it's like in Mello's head, they're either going to be undersized physically or just undersized in like quality of players. Be like, who's Nasri? Like I'm gonna try and. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. That's the X factor. Yeah. <laughs> Mellow yeah. Mello playing for the Wolves. <laughs> all all the whole bench, like the bench, like Cantor does positive things on the offensive end, but defensively it's buckle up when those two are on the oh, floor. Oh, dude, because... but Cantor's going to kill the Wolves on the glass. He, oh, yeah. He will mur- the I mean, the it's not the Wolves aren't only thin at far forward. <laughs> They're thin yeah. at center, too. Uh, all right, man. Well, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. Thank you for for coming on and chatting. You know, um, maybe we'll do. We'll, we'll have to. We'll have to take the pulse on where we were today. <laughs> Seven games yeah. in the season where the teams are just broken. I obviously the Wolves and Blazers will will meet up again. But 
Sorry, I took a little bit more than a half hour yeah. of your time. Thanks, Steve. No, you're good. You're good. I didn't even I didn't get to talk about how D'Lo is the backcourt version of Hassan Whiteside, and I don't no. envy you for having to watch him all season. No. <laughs> not yet. We're not. We're not there. Yet. We're not there yet. Uh, Come on, you're you're gonna. I I listened to your D'Lo pod from last week, and I was just like, "Ooh, does not sound like it's going well." Dude, so. he. Speaking of media, he's just skipping the media stuff every time, and which is like that. You know, that's not like that big of a deal, but it's just like, it's just not. It's not good when when you're replacing Andrew Wiggins, who is like ten out of ten hated by the fan base. I, and you're now you're like starting to infringe <laughs> like no i want that spot <laughs> not a good idea not a good idea all right steve i, I heard yeah i heard i heard i heard ed davis is getting in on the on the you guys are being too tough on delo so don't don't make ed davis upset all right <laughs> the, the funny part about that was was so everybody's just peppering him with uh you know with with delo questions in the post game media and i'm just I was just happened to be the person to ask like the sixth and final question. And mine was positive. I was like, so like, what did you see from D'Lo to get the, like that he started kind of got going, you know, in, in the game. And, and he's just like, man, y'all are, y'all are hard on D'Lo. And I'm like, what? what? No, like those guys are hard on him. I'm actually, I'm ready. I am willing to watch. I'm teeing you up. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to watch the D'Lo experience. Let's, let's, let's figure it out. And let's let's not assume he's a son white side. We can't we can't get there yet. We 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 can't get there yet. I I can't get there. I'll go I'll go crazy. Well, I'll talk soon then. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> I'm looking forward to checking in on the D'Lo Hassan Whiteside. Oh no, no no! All right, uh, Steve is at Steve D Hoops on Twitter. Obviously, you can find that all in the the tweet that I promote this with. Follow his work and and everything you guys do at Blazers Edge is really good. I, I've told you I'm like I'm this closet Blazers fan over here, and I'll be, you know, they got the, the West Coast game. You're like, oh okay, I'll I'll turn this one in and I'm following along with what you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully you'll catch a good one here one of these days. <laughs> Over three so far. <laughs> All right, Steve, I will talk to you soon. Um, for me, I will be back after the Blazers game um, for a post-game pod. Until then, I am Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like no. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.